0: This Christmas season, David Jeremiah and Turning Point Productions present Why the Nativity, a docudrama film that will take you on a thought-provoking journey surrounding the most pivotal moment in human history, the birth of Jesus Christ. Experience the sights and sounds of that first Christmas as Dr. Jeremiah provides a fascinating presentation of biblical history paired with dramatic reenactments. Watch Why the Nativity completely free and find it everywhere it is available by going to whythenativity.org. That's whythenativity.org. welcome to Turning Point. Jesus has given many names and titles, but the one which was announced to the world on the first Christmas stands apart, Savior. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the meaning and majesty of that special title, and why it was revealed at that particular time. Continuing his series, Why the Nativity, here's David to introduce today's message, Why
1: Call Him Savior. You know, the story of Christmas is basically told in three chapters in the New Testament, the history of it, the narrative of it, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapters 1 and 2. And of course, Luke 2 is the central passage on the story of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem and coming to be the Savior for all who will put their trust in Him. So today we're going to look at the 11th verse of Luke chapter 2 and try to answer this question today and again on Monday Why call him Savior? If you have um, the study guide that goes with this series, this is lesson number 10. It's on page 117. If you follow along in the study guide, that's where you would go. And let me remind you that you can get all kinds of resources for this series, Why the Nativity, by going to our special website, which is whythenativity.org. There you will find out how you can view this um, beautiful... uh, documentary this beautiful docudrama uh, in beautiful technicolor it is just a gorgeous film you can find out all the other resources there's some amazing things you can do to tell others about this film and i told you uh, recently that it's off to a great start on uh, youtube Uh, in just about six or seven days it's had already over two million views we've never had anything like that happen before what that tells me is there's a hunger out there to know the true story of Christmas. And We have told that story the best we know how in, in beautiful, beautiful um, drama and uh, narration. You, just, you can't imagine what it's like until you see it, and I hope you get to see it soon. Well, today um, we are going to take part one of this discussion of why call Him Savior, Luke chapter 2. Let's open our Bibles together.
2: Bible uses more than 300 names and titles to describe Jesus. But Jesus can no more be contained in his names and titles than we could contain the ocean in a collection of beautiful bottles. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a great London preacher in another generation often expressed his frustration in trying to wrap his arms around the names and nature of Jesus. On one occasion he wrote, I know my words cannot honor him according to his merit. I wish they could. Indeed, I grow less and less satisfied with my thoughts and language concerning him. He is too glorious for my feeble language to describe him. If I could speak with tongues of men and angels, I could not speak worthily of him. If I could borrow all of the harmonies of heaven and enlist every harp and song of the glorified, were not that music sweet enough for his praises? What he was saying in his old English way is what sometimes we feel. How do you describe the greatness of the Lord Jesus? How can you describe use words to express all that he is and all that he means to us the names of jesus if we could understand them all would still fall short of declaring his glory and describing his greatness jesus is the name of the lord's personality emmanuel is the name of his proximity to us but savior oh, that name that name is the name of the Lord's purpose and his mission upon this earth Jesus and Emmanuel are names that were given to the parents of our Lord by an angel but Savior that name was announced first to a group of shepherds on a hillside we read about it here in Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 and the angel said to them do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, when that was announced to the shepherds, and in that particular time when Jesus came, the people of Israel had had many saviors. As we learned in the book of Judges, they were constantly in need of a Savior a deliverer to help them out of the messes that they created for themselves. The book of Nehemiah summarizes it in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 27, where we read, Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Israel had had many human saviors. Oh, but the savior that was about to be born, they'd never had any savior like this one. Jesus took the title of savior and he gave it new and eternal meaning. In the New Testament, the title savior is found five times in the writings of Peter. And I find that interesting because you remember Peter is the one who, when he tried to walk on water on that occasion and he took his eyes off of the Lord, he began to sink like a rock and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Peter's whole life, like most of ours, was one long cry for a Savior. When the angels gave Jesus the name Savior, they defined both his life and his death for luke nineteen ten says for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost here in luke chapter 2 we begin our understanding of the savior by the promise of the savior which is given to us in this verse for unto you is born this day a savior who is christ the lord This is the promise that had been made earlier by the prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah in Isaiah 9-6 had given a glimpse of this when he had written, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the promise that the angel had given to Joseph, just a few months earlier in Matthew one twenty one, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. If you read the Bible and you begin to get a perspective on the length and breadth of the Scripture, you will discover that there's a kind of rhythm in the Bible itself. Just when people need hope, God sends spokesmen to offer them a foretaste of a better future. Throughout the words and the works of the prophets, there were glimmers of a savior, a king who would rescue his people and restore them to God. In fact, there were more than 300 specific promises in the Hebrew scriptures about the promised Messiah or the coming savior as they called him. One mathematician has determined that if only 60 of those prophecies came true, it would be an odd something like 1 as opposed to 1 plus 157 zeros. In other words, the odds against this happening by itself are astronomical, impossible. These things that were prophesied concerning Jesus Christ— They actually happened as it was prophesied to the minutest detail. And yet, as we look at them today, we can look back in history and connect the dots between the prophecy and the fulfillment, the promise of the Savior. And then in this same verse, we have the purpose of the Savior. Notice verse 11. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the Gospels, Jesus speaks very frequently about his mission in coming to this earth. Somebody might want to ask, why did Jesus come? We need not wonder about that. The Lord Jesus always was communicating his purpose in coming to this earth. In fact, his very first recorded words were to tell his parents, That they should expect him to be involved in his father's business you remember when they went to the temple to find him after he had been left and they didn't know what he was doing and why he had not told them what was going on and jesus reminded them wait a minute i'm not here to serve you i am here on my father's mission 13 times in the gospels jesus uses the phrase i have come and then he expresses something about why for instance Matthew 9:13 he says I have come to call sinners. John 5:43 I have come in my Father's name. John 6:38 I have come to do the will of God. John 7:29 I have come from him and he sent me to you. And John 12:46 I have come to shine in this dark world. If the written record is any clue no sense of mission has ever been brighter perhaps his most moving statement about why he came to this earth came on a day when he encountered a strange little man by the name of zacchaeus zacchaeus was a man of wealth and distinction yet when jesus passed through his town This little man ran ahead of the crowd and climbed up into the branches of a tree so that he could get a good look. And when Jesus came by, he called him by name. I've always thought, I wondered what you would do if something like that happened to you. You know he doesn't know who you are, but he calls you by your name. He called him by name and invited him to lunch. Now there's another thought. What would you do if Jesus invited you to lunch? The Bible says he came down. And he went to lunch with Jesus. And when the townspeople heard about it, they were incensed because, you see, Zacchaeus was not one of the model citizens of the city. He was a hated tax collector. And when they began to question Jesus about why he would eat with such a person, his response was, Luke nineteen ten: for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now it is here that the ancient Jews and many modern religious people like some of us perhaps and people that you know have misunderstood the purpose of the coming of the Savior. You see, in the days of our Lord's birth, the people of Israel were looking for a different kind of a Savior. They wanted to be delivered from the Romans who ruled over them. They wanted their Savior to set them free physically. And Jesus had come to set them free spiritually. And before we criticize them, we are not far behind them today, are we? We want a savior too. We want to be saved from our bad marriages. We want to be saved from our indebtedness, from our boring jobs. We want to be saved from our meaningless lives. But he came to save us from our sins. We want him to save us from the sins of others. It is not our sins that are upsetting to us. We are frustrated by the sins of others. Lord, please come and save me from the sins of my neighbors or from the sins of my husband or my wife or my boss. But in spite of the fact that many modern messages pander to that kind of gospel, that is not the gospel at all. Jesus did not come down here primarily to save us from our marriages or from our businesses or from our personal physical failures. He came to save us from our sins. And when we are saved from our sins, those other things begin to flow out of that. But you can go to churches sometimes now, week after week, and never hear anything about being saved from your sin. What you hear is how to be saved from your problems. My friend if you are not saved from your sin you will never be saved from your problems jesus did not come to make our lives better he came to save us from our sin and in spite of the fact that we know that we are easily swayed by feel-good messages about how jesus can make it all better the savior came to save us from our sin and the bible says in order to do that according to luke 19 10 he had to seek us first He came to seek and to save that which was lost. I remember growing up, we used to sing a little chorus in our youth group that went like this. I found what I wanted when I found the Lord. And that's a beautiful little phrase, and it was a great tune, but it's bad theology. Because we weren't seeking the Lord, he was seeking us. You say, well, I'm here, I'm seeking the Lord. Well, if you're seeking the Lord, it's only because he sought you first, He put you in a seeking mode so that you would hear the gospel, and the Bible says that man will not come to God unaided. In Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite passages, we're told about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. All of them had to be sought by the Savior, just as today we must be sought as well. Oh, my friends, there is music and majesty in Jesus' statement. One focus, the lost. Two actions to seek and to save. Jesus came to this earth, listen to me, on a rescue mission. The Savior is needed to seek the lost, and the Savior is needed to save the lost. He came to seek and to save. If he found us and didn't save us, we'd be in the same position we were before. But he came to save us. Now I have to tell you, that word has fallen on hard times. We use every word that we can come up with from the dictionary except the word saved. I remember growing up as a boy, it was a common thing to ask somebody if they'd been saved. I remember one little foray into the witnessing arena when I was a student at Dallas Seminary. I was taking some courses at North Texas State University, some graduate courses, and I was going through a period of time, now you've probably never been through a time like this, when I was feeling very guilty that I was so busy about doing the Christian thing that I wasn't witnessing. I had probably heard a message on witnessing that had put me under a guilt trip. And so I determined I was going to witness, and I went to my class and sat next to a friend, and I'll never forget this. I asked him, Are you saved? And he said, I'm not interested in being saved from anything except from nuts like you that's what he said. It sort of set my witnessing program back a few weeks. (laughs) It was very discouraging. Now, somebody would say to me, well, you shouldn't have asked him that question. There's a better way to ask it, and perhaps there is. But the Bible's term for it is to be saved. To be saved. When we think of being saved, we think of pictures of sailors clinging to the wreckage of a ship, helicopters hovering in the night sky shining their beacons on the sea in search of the living who must be saved a few months ago Don and I were in a condo and it was a very quiet day uneventful and all of a sudden we heard helicopters five of them right out in front of where we were staying going up and down in front of this thing and it went on for hours I knew something was going on and so I walked down to the pier and asked some of the people who had gathered there what was happening A surfer had disappeared, and they feared he had drowned, and ultimately he had, but they couldn't find his body, and so they were searching for him, and they never stopped until they found him. We think of a collapsed mine where workers are trapped far beneath the earth. Their oxygen runs low, and men crouch in darkness, wondering if they dare hope for salvation. We think of a little girl at the bottom of a well, or even the favorite word picture of a single stray sheep trapped on a perilous slope. The Coast Guard will find those lost sailors, and no taxpayer will ever complain about the expense. The miners will not be abandoned. The little girl must see the sunshine once more, and the one sheep must be rescued from danger. These situations are urgent, and when we see them on television, We stop and we pray and we wait. We may not even know any of the people, but instantly we find ourselves identifying with them and praying that somehow they will be rescued. They are lost and they need to be saved. But ladies and gentlemen, these temporal situations are transcended by the true tragedy of men and women who are lost in their own rubble of sin and darkness and pain. And often, even without knowing what they are longing for, our world's inhabitants are crying out to be rescued. We don't need to be saved from the sins of others. We need salvation from our own sin until we are willing to acknowledge that no matter what the Savior may have done for us, it will not connect with us at all. Until we are willing to say it's not their sins that is the problem, it is my sin." It is not my situation that's the problem, it's my sin that's the problem. Until we are willing to stand up before God and own up to the fact that we have failed him and we are falling short of his glory and the only hope we have is a savior, until then, whatever the savior may have done for us, it will not make any difference because he does not force himself upon us. He paid the penalty for our sin. He paid all that needs to be paid, but he waits for us to accept it by faith. The promise of the Savior and the purpose of the Savior. Notice the provision of the Savior in this same verse. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Please notice the fact of this Savior coming to this earth. This is a fact of history. It's very interesting that this verse, while it is so very short, contains everything we need to know it says for unto you is born this day a Savior Jesus did not just gradually come upon this earth there was a day when the Lord God was born into humanity when he came through Mary and on a certain day in a certain place at a certain time he was born into humanity. The Bible makes it very clear this is an historic event. On this day, Jesus was born. The birth of Jesus is not the beginning of a spiritual force, but the historic record of a person who had an actual birthday, a fact of history. But it is also a fulfillment of prophecy. Once again, in this one little verse, here we see it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. The city of David, as you know, is the city of Bethlehem. And the Old Testament is filled with prophecies of the coming of Messiah in such a specific way that most Jewish people had a tendency to read right over the prophecies and not even understand them. Micah, for instance, had prophesied that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5:2 for you, Bethlehem of Freda, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now that's a wonderful verse, but it becomes a miracle verse when you recognize that it was written 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem.
1: Well, we've talked about that a couple of times uh, recently in our church as we've been celebrating Christmas, the miraculous story of uh, even the prophecy concerning Bethlehem. Prophecy is everywhere in the Christmas story, fulfilled prophecy. Uh, called forth by prophets who lived six and seven hundred years before the coming of Christ. Well, this is part one of why I call him Savior. Uh, we're going to take a little break for the weekend, and we'll be back on Monday to finish up this discussion. Next week, we're going to talk about why the fear nots of Christmas, uh, Thursday and Friday, why there must be Christmas, and then, of course, Christmas happens. <laughs> and uh, we'll do some New Year's things after that. But I'm glad you're listening. Uh, some of you are listening every day. Some of you just um, are listening when you can. But everything you can put into your system from the Scripture makes you a more healthy Christian. So be a blotter. Um, get everything you can from the Scripture. Fill your heart with it. Fill your heart with the real story of Christmas, and you'll see that while there are some fun things that happen during this season, most of what we celebrate isn't the real story. We're celebrating the real story here on Turning Point. We thank you for helping us do that. Have a wonderful weekend. Get to church. Make sure to watch us on television. You'll see part of the Why the Nativity story this weekend on our national television network. And uh, we'll see you again on Monday.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Why the Nativity, please visit our website, There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's 365-day devotional for 2023, Moments with God. It's a powerful tool for daily inspiration in the year ahead. Perfect as a gift or for your own study, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Why the Nativity, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. We celebrate Christmas every year, but have you ever wondered why? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why a newborn king? In the film called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah gives you a front row seat as you travel back in time to experience the sights and sounds of this pivotal moment, the birth of Jesus. Make this your new Christmas tradition. Why the Nativity is available to stream for free at whythenativity.org.
1: Watch it today for free at whythenativity.org. Many critics of Christianity defend their unbelief by saying that no one can prove that the Bible's doctrines are true. But the British writer G.K. Chesterton begged to differ. He wrote, the doctrine of original sin is the one philosophy empirically validated by 3500 years of human history. Would anyone disagree with such overwhelming evidence of the reality and pervasiveness of sin? Since the Bible is right about sin when it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we can rely on what it also says about the remedy for sin, forgiveness through faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's remedy for sin on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to
0: Route66life.com.